Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 56 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled The Church of Sardis. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Amen and amen. So as we look here in the beginning of this, and uh, as in the days of Noah, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be, we start to build this case. We start being informed enough, if you will, that we start seeing the whole New Testament is written in light of this verse. The whole New Testament, I'll say it again, is written in light of the second coming of Christ. The first coming, of course, in the beginning Gospels, and then the second coming of Christ. So our anticipation is not as we're living in life and it's normal. This is normal life, normal seasons. No, we're living in a time anticipating the second coming of Christ. So that is the anticipation of believers today of the second coming of Christ. And it's all written in light of that. If we really can get that into our minds, the scriptures will make much better sense to you as they're written in the New Testament. Sardis, uh, it's famous. It's, uh, its role of being famous is that it was a dead church. And you might think, well, that's, uh, that's not so bad. Well, you know, dead's the bottom of the barrel. Dead's dead. And you say, well, what about the ones that had? I mean, they couldn't even work up a good Jezebel. I mean, think about it. I mean, think about it. They just couldn't, they couldn't even do that. That's pretty dead. Uh, they needed to remember that Jesus is Lord of his church. And there again, I can't emphasize enough that uh, the book that Trevor wrote, put together, Who's in Charge Here? And this uh, line says they needed to remember that Jesus is Lord of his church. In all of these churches that you find trouble is that they got away from that. Uh, the reason I emphasize it so much is because that is the deal. Jesus is in charge of the church. Jesus is in charge of your life. As simplistic as that statement sounds, it is, uh, it is the, it's, it's the, the term or the line of your very existence as a Christian. And um, so we want to say Jesus is Lord of his church and also is Jesus Lord of your life. And there is the great battle of Jesus being Lord of this church or Jesus being Lord of his uh, life. And it just so happens Trevor is putting together a teaching to go in depth on Jesus, who's in charge here. He's going to give us a series of teachings on uh, the definition of how we work it out of Jesus being in charge of this church, but ultimately Jesus being in charge of our lives because we all know if Jesus is not in charge of your life, he will not be in charge of this church. So there's no need of praying, Jesus, come, pour out your spirit upon us as a congregation because it's you as the congregant that brings in that pouring. And so, but Trevor's going to get into that. I'm looking forward uh, to that teaching. It is not left to the members 
and leaders to run the church, but it is the Lord in their midst. Now, believe it or not, I'm going to say it this way. That's a little trick to figure that one out. It's a little trick to figure out how the leaders and the members don't run the church, but how Jesus runs the church. Now, I'll give you this little clue on Jesus being Lord of, the, of your house or this house. And here's the key. The key is being able to submit to another. That's the key. I stand here in whatever position I have in the church, but I'm submitted to the pastor and to the elders. And the key to Christ being uh, the center of my life is I submit to Christ. And we're all submitted to somebody. It's uh, when you bring something to the, to the elders or pastor or whatever, when you do it with the idea of you're submitting something, I'll submit this to you. That's different than coming up and telling me something, telling us something. Because all of a sudden, well, you're already convinced. and you're, It says something about being submitted that is the litmus test of the Holy Spirit. And Trevor will get into how all of this works. The truth was forsaken and forgotten in Sardis. They had forgotten that. Now, what we see in a lot of churches today is that Jesus is not in charge of the church. What we're seeing today is the Sardis church. Uh, you know, we've been through the Nicolaitans. We've been through the Jezebel. We've been through the false prophets. We've been through all of these things. But as I said, Sardis can't even work up a good false prophet. There's the book, which is out in the foyer. You'll hear me mention that many times over the next 25 years. Who's in charge here will be the word to this church. Now we're looking here at this church here of Sardis. You see it there. That's the trade routes. Uh, there's Sardis. Uh, after Thyatira, we have Philadelphia, Laodicea to go. Uh, Sardis there is a reason I put that up was to point out that it was at a cross route. Uh, of crossroads of all the main routes of the, the travel of the caravans of people and of trade. So Sardis was at a good three roads. It's a three-point turn there at Sardis. With Smyrna, Ephesus, they were more just on the trade route. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, but Sardis here uh, kind of has its own unique place. And now, what happened with Sardis, the one reason it was dead was Sardis ended up trying to, uh, trying to cater to everybody. They were on this route. They wanted everybody to like them. And so they were this great intersection. So they're going to do Christianity right. And uh, that was part of their uh, downfall. And so we see of the seven churches here that Sardis, of course, was number five. The prophetic timetable was more of the time of their Reformation. Although the church in Sardis is praised for its good works, it received the harshest criticism of all the letters to the seven churches. Isn't that something? Jesus described their situation as a spiritual deadness. Now, you know, we can talk about Sardis all we want to. But in all honesty, I stand before you today with part of my spirit spiritually dead. And I know that. I'm just being very honest with you. 
I am not fully alive. I can act like it. I can try to put on a show and say all the right things like I am. Or I can be very honest with you and say, I don't think I'm fully alive. You are such a good one. That man hears from God. Just, just, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I just all but ask for that. <laughs> and nobody can say John doesn't hear God. Thank you so much, John. So as we see this spiritual deadness and we see the church of Sardis, we have to always ask ourselves, how much of Sardis is in me? How much disbelief is in me? As I stand before you and we come together this morning, I have anticipation of the moving of the Spirit of God. My friend Mel Tari will be with us. He has seen many revivals, many moves of God. I have anticipation. I can't wait to hear him speak. And... His, uh, his, um, and in that anticipation, I'm a little sad with part of me that doesn't have greater excitement. I'm excited and I'm anticipating, but uh, I'm, can I be honest with you? I'm just not as excited as I know I should be because God is among us. God's going to move today. Somebody say, hey, amen. amen. You're not excited either. God's going to move today. So we measure our level of excitement or anticipation, if you will. And we have to also say, how much of Sardis is in me? How much of Sardis is in me? Am I really living my life like the Lord could come at any moment? Am I anticipating the second coming of Christ? Is the second coming of Christ on my mind more than my work next week? Is the second coming of Christ on my mind more? Hey, you can say, well, Alan, nobody can do that. Well, the only thing I can submit to you is, yes, we can. It's our level of excitement. It's our level of embracing to the truth. We all sit here in here today. We have a level of judgment in us. Some of us do. Most of us do. We have a little bit of judgment. And believe it or not, the greatest judgment we have as God's people is against God. We don't think God's quite up to par. He's not doing quite what He promised. He's not, he's not quite pulling up His side of things. Now, I'm just saying what's in your subconscious, whether you want to admit it or not. This is what happens to us. There's a part of us that has Sardis in us. Now, with that great encouragement, let's move forward. They had a lack of energy and enthusiasm. And that's what I can say. And, and that does speak to me, that I don't have the energy and enthusiasm, uh, that I know what the Spirit it convicts me of. Now, I do have an energy and enthusiasm, but I'm not where I want to be. I'm, I'm just really not where I want to, want to be. I would like to have so much energy and enthusiasm about the gospel that I got on your nerves. Can somebody hear what I'm saying? That I would get on your nerves that the, the gospel of Christ would so be on my lips. Uh, you'll see with Brother Mel... It's one reason he 
were squashing this artist out of me a little bit, I'd introduce him to somebody, and he'd have her arm. The first thing he does is prophesy. He doesn't say his name. He just he just he just starts prophesying. I mean, you can go to Walmart; doesn't make any difference to him. Another human being is just an opportunity of another encounter. And I'm not kidding. I'm just not kidding. Male, seventy-seven years old, just looking for another opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. Just tell somebody about Jesus. It's not hard. It's it's he just wants to tell them the gospel. So I use him as an example this morning. So if he appears to be a, have a lot of energy and enthusiasm, it's real is all I can tell you. Now, he doesn't have, I couldn't find much sardis in my friend Mel. Now here we go. Revelation 3.1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write these things, saith he, that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, and thou hast a name that you live, but you're dead. Now, how many churches are going to come under this one? New life, please hear my cry. Let us not have this. We, we shout a lot about healing and, and what God's going to do, right? One thing Mel and I as we were having discussions, and he said to me, he said, Alan, don't. He said, never seek healing. He said, never seek the gifts, never seek tongues, never seek. He said, seek the Savior. Seek the one that has all of that. And as you seek him, these other things will follow. He said, they follow. You don't seek them, they follow. As we seek him. And in all honesty, I thought I was doing that until he said it. Then I had to remind myself, am I seeking the person of Jesus? Now, let's watch this. This is so sad. Jesus described their situation as spiritually dead with deep unresponsiveness to the spirit. Now, that's what I'm saying about the deadness. I know that the spirit of God, the presence of God is in this place. I know that. And there's no doubt in my mind. Because I can come from outside to inside and say, well, Alan can't even be in the building. The only thing I can tell you is yes, I think so. I don't know why. But I can come in here around worship and the presence of God and the people of God, and I can feel His presence. But then again, it's my unresponsiveness to His presence it shakes me. I've invited people here and they've come here and they say, Alan, do you do y'all know what y'all have in your church? And I hear them. And I know they're telling me the truth. They say, we're experiencing stuff there that we can't experience at other places. And, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll watch their mouth <laughs> and I'll hear them. And I'm like, they're telling me the truth. Why am I not responsive to the Spirit as they are? Well, you can say, well, Alan, you just get acclimated to it. Uh, Pooey, acclimated to the Holy Ghost. How could you become acclimated to the Holy Ghost? No such thing. I could see how I could become dull of hearing and my unresponsiveness would die. And that concerns me. 
It really does concern me because I know the Holy Spirit is in this place. One thing in conversation, Mel might mention it in his message, but in our conversation, I've told him, I said, well, Mel, we've had the Holy Spirit come and move in, in some services and, and yield and come and tie maybe a month or two, and then it kind of ebbs and flows. He said, that's a lie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's a lie. He said, nowhere in God's Word does He say His Spirit comes and goes like that. The Holy Spirit's here. He said, maybe you come and go, but the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go. Come on. Some reason I had a witness to that truth. <laughs> so I doubt you'll ever hear me talking about the coming and going of the Holy Ghost. He said, the Holy Spirit's here. He said, the habitation of the Holy Spirit's here. He said, if you're in tune with that or not, is your responsibility. So this is what happened with Sardis. The church of Sardis is a church that has a reputation to live, but is really dead. It was filled with people who knew the Lord, but had no life about them. They had good works, but the works had no life. Notice the differences, and I'll go through a few slides here to get us up here. Notice the difference between Sardis and the other churches. This church in Sardis had such a void of life that it actually had no struggles going on within it, which I've mentioned. Satan had this church in appearance, but no reality. No false prophets, no Nicolaitans, and no Jezebels. That's her claim to fame. <clears throat> it does not appear they have persecution or a false teaching happening. They had smooth sailing. That's another way to look at some of these church problems. Now let's go on here as we're going to look at a little more revelation. Be watchful, he says. You see that? Be watchful. Now this is a term that he uses with this church that's dead. He says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come as a thief, uh, on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now this is a, uh, to a prophetic person, this is a huge term to watch, to an intercessor, listen, intercessors, all intercessors are prophetic people. Most of you are prophets. Instead of calling you a prophet, we call you an intercessor. But it's prophetic. It's a prophet. It's a prophet spirit that's an intercessor. And the reason is, is an intercessor knows how to watch. Watch, hear the Spirit. Watch for what's coming. That is, that's the spirit of a prophet. So it's a big term as a believer in the church, the church of Sardis, part of the, the word of instruction was to watch. So as we sit here today, we're watching. We're watching for the movement of the Spirit of God. We're watching for what's going on. He said this in Matthew, Watch therefore, for do not, uh, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. 
Now, this is a huge deal. Don't take it linearly. You got to go take the depth of this statement. Watch therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. He says to watch. Why? Because you don't know the day he's coming. Well, what does that have to do with anything? It has something to do with everything is his coming. This whole book, I'm telling New Testament, is about this second coming. That's what we're looking for now. So he tells us to watch. I heard um, a friend of Lonnie Frisbee's on a video yesterday, and I, f I can't recall his name. And, uh, but he was a pastor to him. He was a friend to him. And he said that him, that they, all of them in that day were surfers. They'd go out and surf. And you've heard this terminology before or this, this comparison before, but it comes from the G, from uh, that Jesus movement, uh, back in the day. And they compared it to a surfer. And he said this yesterday, caught my attention again. And this one guy uh, said, well, if the Holy Spirit was among you, he said, yes. But he said it was up to each one of us to, to, to encounter the Holy Spirit. And he said, the only thing, he said, what we used to say back in that day with Lonnie Frisbee and all of those guys out there at Pirate's Cove, uh, he said, what we would say is it's like surfing. You go out and you paddle out and you paddle out with everything you got. And said, by the time you get out to where the wave is, you're kind of tired. But then you turn yourself around. He said, then you wait. He said, you have to wait on the wave. And he said, now, once you see the wave coming, he said, then you have to paddle with the wave with all you got. You see it coming. So he said, the key is you got to paddle with everything you got. Then the momentum of the wave catches you. And he said, what we understood was we had to paddle to catch the wave. I heard that. And he kept talking about it. He said, the wave can come. You can line yourself up with the wave, but if you don't paddle with everything you got, you won't catch it. He said, you had to invest your life in the coming wave. And I heard that. I heard that. So it's kind of like we can sit here and say, God, touch me if you can. Or if the Holy Spirit of God comes through, I'll put up my little sails and see if it'll blow a little wind. Or I'll use this terminology. I can paddle like heaven and catch the wave of this spirit. He would say this. He said this. He said, if you don't paddle, you'd miss your wave. And he said, you got to paddle with everything you got. So, therefore, the Holy Spirit is here. His Holy Spirit's in this place. Holy Spirit's here today. But if you don't paddle with all you got within you in here this morning, you can miss the move of the Holy Ghost in here today. It's because we contribute. He said, now once you paddle, he said, the momentum of the wave will pick you up and move you faster than you can paddle. And he said, we knew that. He said, all of us knew that as young hippies and surfers, he said, he said, so it was normal for us to sing and to worship and to press through and to pray and to shout. He said, we, we knew we'd say to each other, paddle harder, paddle harder. 
And he said, then here it came. And he said, it would just pick us up and move us. I thought that was an incredible truth and explanation. This church at Sardis, if they knew how to paddle, they weren't paddling. What makes a church dead is you don't paddle to catch the move of the Spirit. We do have to contribute to catch the wave. So Sardis didn't even stir up anything. It also says this, Therefore, uh, also you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not know. It says you must be ready. It says watch. And they were comparing that to the wave. You got to watch. You got to be ready. Again, in chapter 25, after he has completed the story of the ten virgins, and we'll hit this a little bit. Uh, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So this idea is we're always watching, we're always waiting, and we're prepared. Now let me move on. The key I want us to pick up on here is be watchful. Then he goes, I got an arrow down there, therefore shall not watch. In other words, you got a comparison here. The comparison is to watch the watching ones and those that are not watching. Two sets of people in this verse. Those that are watching, those that are not watching. Those that were watching were alive. Those that were dead were not watching. So we want to be able to better identify how do we get in this dead state? The first thing is you have stopped watching for His coming. Now we're watching for His second coming, but we must understand that Jesus' second coming coming, His physical, bodily second coming, has been preceded by His Spirit coming. That's Acts chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus has preceded His earthly coming. So in our watching, we are experiencing His coming. Can somebody hear what I'm saying? The closer He gets to earth, so to speak, the stronger His Spirit. Can somebody hear what I'm saying? Do we believe we're in the last of the last days? I definitely do. But you got to understand, He calls Him the bright and morning star. Then he calls him the son of the heavens. Bright and morning star. I think I taught you last week that the, the bright and morning star in which Jesus is called is the star that you see in the morning before the sun comes up. So today we are experiencing the bright and morning star, which is his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit, I believe, as a church, we have all the language of the Holy Spirit. We have all of this. We have all of the annex of what we believe is the Holy Spirit. But I wonder, do we encounter this bright morning star? Do we truly encounter His Spirit? Now let's watch the church here. So he says, watch therefore. 
Now, I want to go into this a little bit just quickly. The word is watch. So as believers, this is a key word. All right, we have three parables that tells us what it means to watch. So even though this is the church of Sardis, Jesus tells the angel about this church. We should not be too surprised that Jesus has an already given reference to this church in the book of Matthew and Luke. Of course, Jesus was given these parables, right? And he was given these parables, and these parables can be applied to these seven churches. He knew that this was happening and would be happening. So let's look at this one parable here. Now, we have, I'm going to give just three parables. There's more, actually, that have to do with watching. But in this one parable, uh, the three parables but the same subject, but from three different approaches. They are the parable of the householder. You know that one, I'm sure. But you might want to read it again this week for homework, if you will. The parable of the ten maidens in some versions, uh, the ten virgins in other versions and the parable of the talents, which y'all, I'm sure, know that. Now, these three parables that I've selected are to give us insight, like in the church of Sardis, it went dead. Well, these parables give us insight on where the church went wrong. It's very interesting. You know, Jesus, you know, he said that he gave the parables the uh, disciples asked, said, why do you speak in parables? He said, because it's given for you to see and for those that don't believe not to see. So he's wanting us to see here through these parables. All three parables are to empower one word that Jesus gave to his disciples. One word. He said to them, watch. Now here's what I want you to catch as we move forward. He gives them this one word and it's to watch. That's interesting. Watching sets you up to catch the wave. No watch, no wave. Watching sets us up. Watching is anticipation. If we're sitting in here this morning watching, is the Holy Spirit among us? The answer is yes. But we're watching on how it affects people, how it hits someone. What's the movement of the Spirit in the room? Are you with me? What's the movement of the Spirit in the room? We want to all be attentive to what is the movement of the Spirit in the room. I don't want to do anything that would hinder the movement of the Spirit in the room. If anything, I want to do what contributes to the movement of the Spirit in the room. That's what worship does. It contributes to the movement of the Spirit in the room. I remember I heard this one guy who I think kind of discovered Ed Shearman. Y'all know, anybody know what I'm talking about? Ed Shearman, red-headed guy, sings with a little ukulele-like guitar. Uh, you wouldn't think he could carry a note in a bucket. But when he was first discovered, it was this black gentleman discovered him, brought him to this big night of new talent. And uh, he said that it was a more of a groove to the music in the room. And Ed Shearman got up there with his little ukulele guitar, small guitar, and 
and he started to sing and he, well, if, he walked up and this one, the, uh, the black guy there, his friend looked over at him and said, you're going to mess up the room. <laughs> he said, said, you're going to mess up the room. He knew what it meant, the spirit of the room. He knew what that meant because in music, in concerts, you got the spirit of the room. Well, in church with the Holy Ghost, you got the spirit of the room. And so what, what we're looking for is that movement of the Holy Ghost in the room. We are coming here to learn, to hear the Word of God, to be taught. You'll see that this is one of the things we're to be doing in our watching. I'm going to show you here in a minute how us sitting here, someone's teaching the Word of God. This is an act of watching. Let's watch this. It is the one command Jesus gives to those that are waiting. For those that are waiting, He says to watch and wait. Right? Now I want you to see that watching and waiting is a spiritual position. I hope somebody can hear me. Watching and waiting is a spiritual position position to hear and to see God. Now, Jesus gives this thing. There are little words, but we tend to just jump right over them and miss the meaning. The reason we were given these parables, if we do not understand the parables, we will not watch the way He tells us to. Can somebody hear that? If we do not understand the parables, we will not watch the way that the Lord tells us to. So the Lord says to watch. He says to Sardis, watch. Jesus gives the parables. He said, in your watching, I'm going to show you how to watch. I think that's interesting. If we do not watch, He says, you'll be deceived. So one of the benefits of watching is you are not deceived. I think that's great. And people ask me, Alan, how, how can I keep from being deceived? Well, you watch. You watch. See, the word watch to a believer needs to get broader. The definition needs to expand. What is a watch? You've heard of the watchers in the, New Te in the Old Testament? They had a position. It's called the watchers. But Jesus is telling us this spiritual condition. They were to watch... And we're to wait. And as we watch and we wait, we're aligning ourselves to see the movement of God. He goes on to say, and he says the key of Matthew 24 and 25 is that the age between the time. Now you got Matthew 24 and 25. If you'd like to write that down, feel free. This is a key in Matthew 24 and 25 is the age, I call it the uh, the age between the time, you see, in between time, uh, the Lord said these words, and the time He would come again is the age of deceit. So G Jesus gives these parables, and He's speaking about a time uh, that He speaks them, as you can see there, until He returns, will be known as a time of deceit. That's what he's saying in Matthew 24 and 25. 
he said, he's, he already, so he gives his parable of him being here, he's, and then he's coming back. So, but in this time, the time that we find ourselves in now is a time of deceit. That's what time it is. If you want to know what time it is, it's a time of deceit. Now, a time when it is easy to be fooled, he says in those chapters. A time when many will be attracted to the phony and the false. It's what Jesus is saying in these parables. It's going to be a time of deceit. People are going to be attracted to the phony and the false. I've just shown you the key word to not being deceived is you're found watching, waiting. Now let's go on. I'll give you more information on that. A time that many will go down wrong paths and be confused. It is therefore very important to take heed and watch, he said. Now let's consider this parable that we find here in Matthew 24. Now let's watch it here. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, you know the parable, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and Jesus is speaking about his return, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunken, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour he does not know and will punish him and put him with the hypocrites. There men will weep and gnash their teeth. So he talks about a wise servant here. So this might fit us. Here's how it works. Here's a household whose master is away, and the household is waiting for him to return. So Jesus gives his parable. He's speaking about himself. Now this is an interesting parable. It gives us a lot of information. The master has appointed certain servants uh, and given them responsibility there during the time of his absence. Now, you should be seeing yourself as you're reading this parable of these servants. You should be able to say, I am a servant, right? I am a servant. Now, the only activity mentioned is that of feeding the household in this parable. The only thing is, is in this parable, he's speaking about this householder. He's got a wise one and then he's got a mean one, but nonetheless, the parable is speaking about feeding the household. Now, we can blame the pastor on this one if we want to. But you've got to understand what household are you over or do you contribute to? That gets us all as servants. And as we're in a servant position, we are feeding. Now, there again, this is how you can watch and not be deceived. The way you can watch and not be deceived is that you feed people. All right, let's watch this. He goes on to say this. Who then is this faithful and wise servant? Talks about a faithful one. You see it there in a wise one. Whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is he, uh, that servant whom his master will, when he comes, find him so doing. Truly I say unto you, he will set him over all his possessions. 
So here we find when we come to Jehovah gathering, the way that one of the ways that we fulfilled watching is we come here to be taught food. I've heard a lot of people say they're against churches, they're against gatherings. I'm like, come on, somebody, read your Bible. The first thing to do while watching, first thing to do while watching, these servants have the task of feeding the household at the proper time. Watching means to feed and be fed by the Word of God. That's what watching means. The household must eat or they can do nothing. If the household does not eat, they will not survive and they will perish. Can you see it? Can you see how you escape being deceived? It's because you're being fed the Word of God. It's not some magic wand that you wave up here. It's that you are watching. You're here today. It's proof that you're watching for the second coming of Christ. And as you are watching and waiting, you're being fed. Now, this is just one of three parables. There's some other things going to happen, too, which I won't get to today. But this first one is you come together. This is an act of watching. You're being fed the Word of God. That helps you and will keep you from being deceived. That's what it means. Now, the household can do nothing else until they have established their health and strength by eating. Do you see that? The Word of God is a way that we are strengthened. Now, what the enemy wants to do is to separate you from coming together and watching. The enemy wants to do that. You'll get mad at the church, you get your feelings hurt. Uh, well, the church just didn't suit me now. Anybody ever felt that one? I got an extra one I'll let you have. Right? The church just isn't suiting me right now. All of these things is to distract you from watching. And when you're distracted from watching, you lose the anointing. You have to eat daily, correct? You have to be fed. You have to eat of the Word of God daily, correct? The anointing is not dead. The anointing is alive. The anointing must be fed the Word of God, correct? You keep it alive. Keeps it movement. Now, the household is the church. The servants are those appointed to teach within the church. Sunday school teachers, youth leaders, children, Bible classes, and parents, and, and, and anybody that's older than a younger is considered a teacher. Parents within the home who teach their children. It is anyone who is in the position of teaching another within the body of Christ. Now, notice how the Lord puts it. He goes on to say, Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Are you that kind of servant? The food is obviously the Word of God. What else could it be? The Word of God is intended to feed the people. Jesus said so himself. When the devil came and tempted him to turn the stones into bread, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Word of God is the unveiling of reality. The Word of God. It is a revelation of the way things really are. People are trying to change the Word of God to match what they think is reality. I'm here to tell you, the Word of God is reality. So look how far the world is away from reality. 
Word of God's reality. You're not living in a world of reality. You're living in a world of non-reality. You have to know and have in you daily the Word of God to stay in reality. It's amazing how non-realities can so persuade us. Just remember that. The word of truth is food. Peter tells us, desire the milk of the word that you may grow thereby. Paul mentions the strong meat of the word in uh, Hebrews 5. We see that Bible study is then not an option for a Christian. It is the revelation of the way things are in life and death and the universe as well as the world of ideas, thoughts, and the social life of man. The word of God touches everything. As we continue on with the church of Sardis, I won't, I've got, I'm just going to give you a couple more ways that we can be found watching. Now, there again, I'm going to give you more definition of watching. Watching is positioning yourself in such a way that you will not miss a visitation of God. You've positioned yourself. And the act of watching means that you're constantly being taught the Word of God. That's the act of watching. And that act is what keeps us from being deceived. Does that make sense? It's really not that hard. But it is that true. If you're not studying the Word of God, if you're not coming together, if you're not doing these things, and what happens is you can tell when you're pulling away from the church, you start getting deceived, but you don't realize it. You just start feeling unplugged. I don't need to be a part. But what's happening is you're being deceived. I promise you, you're not pouring in the Word of God. I promise you. Because either that or the Word of God's a liar. Because it tells me when I'm constantly studying His Word and pouring it in daily, that the benefit of that is I will not be deceived. Okay, let's stand. We'll move into the second part of the service. We have three-thirds here at this church. Have the first third, which is this teaching. Second third, we'll go into worship. Third third is when we invite the Holy Spirit to come at the end. Lord Jesus, I ask and pray that if there's anything I've said today that's not of you, I ask and pray that it'll fall to the ground. If anything that I've said is of you and your spirit, I pray that it'll penetrate our hearts, that we might be found watching and waiting for your return. Bless us this day as we worship you. Be with my friend, Pastor Mel Tari. Bless him and anoint him. And the house said, Amen and amen. Thank you.